0: Hello everybody. Hello everyone. Welcome to the one and only podcast on yeah. in the world about the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. I'm Jeff and I'm Dave we and we have we have strictitudinous. We do. Because we are producing episode 143, Jeff. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a risk and go out on a limb and yeah. say it's 143. Well, email. I hope it is. You might screw it up. So again, yeah. ch- check the listings on the the site. Very likely it's 143, which will be an amazing, interesting Interview with? With uh, George
1: Kellen from the uh, Canadian ASL, well, the Lone Canuck Publishing, up there in uh, the Lone Canuck. I now get
0: the Lone Canuck. Yeah. Because he does this. Alone. On his own. Yeah. Mostly.
1: Canucklandia. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, he designs them. He designs them. He gets a group of guys together to test them, but he designs them.
0: Yeah, but he's not like... MMP with a Chaz and a Perry. Those guys are Brian. just figureheads.
1: There's actually just there's just one guy working. Yeah, Chaz. One Chaz, guy. Chaz just Chaz. Chaz is doing all the work. Perry <laughs> just takes home the big checks.
0: <laughs> oh my! Yeah.
1: So we're, we're looking forward to talking to George. Actually, we just should we tell him? Should we tell the truth? We should tell the truth.
0: We just talked to George. Mm-hmm. That,
1: and we that, had that interviews coming right
0: up. And we did have a uh, uh, a certain listener that made a complaint. I think we probably read it last show, 142. And so maybe to Oh, yeah, 142, two. right. Yes,
1: 142.
0: Yeah. Maybe out of respect for his desire to not have us banter, should we just go into the interview, Jeff? Well, you know, I, I, I suspect that he was saying, if
1: you're going to banter, uh, banter about something interesting, maybe. Or, <laughs> no, no. Or maybe about gaming. He said, move to a different podcast. Did he? Yep. I wasn't paying attention when you read that one. Yep. So (laughs) I'm not going to take offense, but why don't we go right into the interview? Let's go right into it. Great interview.
0: Yeah, (laughs) right. We're
1: talking. We're calling George out of the blue. We picked a number out of the phone book. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Oh, hello, hello, sir. We play a game called Advanced Squad Leader, and we're lonely, and we're wondering if we could interest you in playing.
2: Well, what a coincidence! I happened to uh, design game or scenarios for a war game called Squad Leader. Advanced Squad Leader, that is.
0: Wow! What an amazing coincidence! It's
2: what a that's, yes. that's a
0: beautiful thing. And your name is?
2: And my name is George Kellen. I am oh. the uh, I am the man I am the Canuck behind Lone Canuck Publishing.
0: We were always kind of
1: wondering who that Canuck was. Yeah, well, you're so you're. Let me correct me if I'm wrong. You're in. You live in Canuckia.
2: I live in Canada, that is right. Okay. Oh, Canada. Yeah.
1: And you live on the west coast somewhere, is that right?
2: I do. Right now we're in a swelter and heat wave. Uh, I'm about, um, how would you put it, I'm about two hours by ferry northwest of Seattle. Wow. It's not very far, but it's, uh, it's just really hard to get. I live on an island, but it's, uh, yeah.
1: You live on an island, wow. And yeah,
2: Vancouver Island. Sort of think of like Manhattan Island to New yeah. York. Okay,
1: Yeah, I've been to Vancouver. So do you live in Vancouver proper?
2: No, no, no. I live in Victoria, which is the city of British Columbia.
1: Yeah, I was there years ago and loved it. And in fact, my wife and I often talk about moving to the Pacific Northwest because we've spent all of our days here in the Midwest and we're tired of living in two dimensions.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, No, I retired out here about 10 years ago. And my, um, I, I gave my wife the option. We were living on the prairies. Um, you can live in, we can move back to Winnipeg, which is in central Canada, well, the middle of Canada, and it's got like 40 below weather, just above Minnesota. Or I can move back out here to the west coast. And I didn't think I got coast out of my mouth before we decided she picked that one.
1: Yeah. Nice. That's what mm. I would do. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So tell us about... Uh... Lone Canuck. First, I've got a very important question before we even get started.
2: Okay.
1: <clears throat> What's with the shipping?
2: What about the shipping?
0: The shipping. <laughs> did you hear our last show? Did you hear our last show?
2: No, I did not. Oh,
0: okay. Because <laughs> we reviewed your products, and, yeah. J- and Jeff finds us arcane things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just, I, I ordered, I ordered a Ostfront pack. Yep. And Azurekia Breakout. Mm-hmm. And I noticed when I order one item, it's $7 for shipping. And when I order two items, it's $15 for shipping.
2: Yeah.
1: And does that extra dollar just go right into your pocket?
2: Uh, That would be called the Canada Post fuel surcharge. Oh, it's got a name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What you hit is you hit the the special curve in there. Ah, Curve where you know, I think it's above a certain dollar amount, it's uh, seven dollars, and then when you kick it up over to uh, a higher amount, it's fifteen dollars.
1: Oh, I see. So, um, if I bought more, does it go down or does it keep going up exponentially? It goes down. It
2: goes it, down. Okay.
1: All right. So, so, listeners, if you're when when you order from Lone Canuck, order lots of stuff. Order more stuff. Just listeners. order more stuff.
2: <laughs> That's so, correct.
1: Yeah, tell us about Lone Canuck. How did uh, how did yeah, you get how'd in? How would you get into ASL? Tell us a little about yourself.
2: Um, let's see. Uh, how did I get into ASL myself? Let's see. I um, I was in the army at the time, so uh, did a full career in the army 20, 20 some odd years, finally retired. But uh, way back when I first got in, a friend of mine, we were living in the barracks. He lived uh, a couple um, couple doors down. He was playing this really strange game that uses these boards with these little counters. And uh, so I looked at it and asked what it was. And he said it was squad leader. And this would have been about 1985, I think it was. Um, Always been interested in the military, uh, strategic games, you know, games of uh, that sort of uh, thing um, appealed to me. Uh, Got hooked right away on squad leader bought everything anything and everything um, played uh, when I got deployed over to Cyprus for six months I played basically squad leader every night for six months Wow
1: in Cyprus with with whom did you play
2: uh, my roommate who uh, who, who we, uh, we we lived in um, this one dorm there's three of us in the room and we had four rooms so basically we knocked down the wall between us and set up this huge Board probably four of almost like two sheets of plywood wide, and there we played massive games. Every board, and we had doubles of board. And this is like the squad leader board, so like one to ten, maybe I think it was maybe a few of the rogue boards. But uh, we had multiples of it. We play huge, massive games, um, and we play every night for basically six months
0: like design your own
2: things, design your own games. Uh, and that's really sort of where I got it started from. I like said, you know. Most of these things were appealing, uh, you know, the, the scenarios that came with it. And um, was, uh, was it uh, a lot of them were, you know, big, but, you know, we wanted bigger. So, you know, when you can basically set out the complete orbat for a German Panzer Grenadier battalion and the complete orbat of a British uh, infantry battalion and, and brigade, uh, a couple of squadrons of tanks, it became pretty massive in size and uh, pretty appealing. So, we had the time. About six hours every night, we would consume, uh, you know, 2-4 a, a of, uh, of Pepsi, at the time it was Dive Pepsi, I think we were doing, watching our girlish figures. Um, so we would, um, we would do that every night for pretty much most of the nights. I mean, there was we cut it short a few nights and go out drinking, but uh, yeah, it, uh, for six months we did that. I got back, and while we were there, another friend of mine who picked up this game called Advanced Squad Leader. Um, and he tried to uh, convince me to switch or, or learn this one, and I said, "Why? It's got all. It's just a. We'll call it a uh, like a second edition of a squad leader, or whatever it was. You know, just got all the rules put together. You know, we had all this rules. So, for six months, he tried to convince me to convert. Um, he had same thing. He had a roommate, at another camp where he was staying, and they played pretty much ASL for six months, just about every night. So, uh, but. Finally, he finally wore me down, when I got back to Canada, um, this would have been 88, 89, I, uh, I went out and I bought uh, Beyond Valor and the ASL rulebook got a sweet deal on it combined and then since then it's just been uh, ASL, nothing but. I, I sort of tossed away every other every other war game I have played uh, and played ASL exclusively.
0: Have you ever done miniature wargaming?
2: I have done miniature wargaming, I've done uh, everything from uh, Ancients to uh, middle, uh, middle Ages, I like the Middle Ages one, to uh, World War II, um, to uh, Fantasy, you know, Warhammer, all the other stuff. I play everything and I sort of, uh, I prefer them, you know, friends of mine are big into computer games. Computer games last for about, uh, I think I play them about 24 hours straight and I get bored with them and never play them again. So uh, board games, war games, all are sort of um, challenging, interesting, and they, they keep my interest is what the biggest thing it does. Yeah. So ASL, uh, like that, I got bounced around and I landed in Winnipeg in the m- mid-90s. Uh, I posted there. And that's where I met uh, Jim McCloud, Bill Bird, and the whole Winnipeg ASL crew. Um, And even then, it was just a bunch of guys. We sort of came together with, under the guidance of uh, the late Jim McCloud. He uh, was sort of the driving force behind starting a club. And with this club, uh, found more and more playing and basically uh, started designing sort of scenarios for ourselves there, you know, uh, from that. And then I think it was about 19, I say 1998. Bill Bird said, "Hey, why don't you make a scenario pack and sell it?" And I said, "Yeah, okay. So um, Winpack One or Winpack Winnipeg Pack was sort of the first one that came out, and I sold my very first scenario pack to Bernie Hegdahl at um, Sioux City, Iowa, the um, the ASL tournament down there. So he's my very first customer."
0: Okay. And is that
1: how you retired then is on uh, all of the earnings?
2: <laughs> no, actually, oh. um, I'll use what, uh, who is it? Uh, well, Disney said, um, I don't make movies to make money. I make money to make more movies. My thing is the same thing. I, I don't make these ASL packs to make money. I make money to make more ASL packs. Uh-huh. Uh, everything goes back into research books. Uh, I do a lot of, uh, tournament support, um, uh, donations stuff like that so it all goes back in ASL I mean um, yeah into tournaments like that so yeah that's what it basically goes back to
1: yes so uh, when you did your first uh, scenario pack what did did you have I'm not familiar with the packs how do your packs work are they are they all theme based or
2: how, uh, it, how do they work they they started off at um, wind pack the Winpack pack one series was just a group of uh a bunch of scenarios and i think it was um when it had about 20 scenario I had about 10 about 15 20 scenarios that sort of got started off and got weeded down to about 10. uh the winnipeg asl crew played most of them um uh so it was sort of a hodgepodge of different fronts different times um uh, with the with the um with the earnings from that or any of the earnings i got from that I bought a series from uh, uh, John Fedorovich who also is a book dealer in Winnipeg. He deals in a lot of um, German uh, German books. Uh, so I bought the Leap standard series. And because uh, it was, uh, I got a deal, actually it was a great deal. So I got that. Um, and it was coincidence I bought. I had just enough, I had the exact amount of money uh, coming back from Sioux City, the tournament where I sold all my packs there. must have sold about... Twenty or thirty packs, and I think I had about that much to buy the series, and that's why I bought the series. So the Leaf Stand Dart series I bought, and that was then sort of the start of the theme, the theme series. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started the that, and then I went to the Gross Deutschland. I bought another series of books. That usually sort of how it goes: um, uh, buy a set of books, uh, research it, buy some other books, do some more research, and uh, and so on.
1: And um, do you uh, do you do you make scenarios? Because I mean, do you, do you think there's something lacking in ASL that makes you in the scenarios that are available that makes you want to make scenarios? Do you look at scenarios, play scenarios, and think I can make a better one than this?
2: Um, not really. Uh, uh, I, I I I seldom, and I'll say seldom, uh, I seldom can read a book more than a few pages without sort of stopping, dropping, and um, picking up a pencil and start planning out scenarios. Ah, okay. So if I if I start a scenario that's similar to another scenario, it's not because I see theirs and they, oh, I can do it better. It's just coincidence that I happen to be reading um, uh, in Normandy, uh, the 29th Infantry Let's Go in Normandy. I'll be reading that, and all of a sudden I'll design a scenario, and then lo and behold, somebody's designed that scenario. Uh, coincidence um you know i don't i don't go out and look for scenarios say i can do it better it's just coincidence mm-hmm. and i design it
0: and i noticed on your website i think you have like 24 packs available
2: i do I do basically it goes back to uh 1998 i do believe it was the first one yeah win
0: pack number one yeah and then you did the liebsten dart day series
2: Yep. That one and the Gross Deutschland and a couple other ones in there. Um Gross Deutschland, I did uh the Watch M Rhine, I did another Wind Pack, um also did a a war which is called um Canada War two, I think it's called. Canada War, yeah, number two.
0: Yeah, that's number 2, two thousand and two.
2: Uh, and basically it just goes from there uh, really the drive when I was in Winnipeg it was really the driving force behind a lot of design I probably I work fast and I work in bulk so I'll, I'll probably design a couple hundred scenarios wow. and, then, and then go back and start editing and weeding them out and and looking at what works what uh, what work um, you know it, it, you know do, do scenarios? Maybe if I make a theme pack out of this scenario or you know this type of scenario. Um, so yeah, it, it basically, as I said, I, I cannot read more than a few pages into any sort of one of my war books uh, without stopping and picking up a pencil and start designing.
0: Cool. So almost all of these then would be coming from your readings, your research.
2: It, it has, yeah. Uh, I don't. Uh, my my shelf um, is almost overflowing. I'm sort of starting another bookshelf. Well. I'm starting to pile books onto my desk, so now I'm going to have to find another bookshelf to start packing them on
0: And your latest product is Crossing the Morro. Can you tell us about that one?
2: Crossing the Moro" is sort of... Um, uh, last year was the PPCLI, Princess and Princess Canadian Light Infantry's 100th anniversary uh, since the founding of the regiment. And the Crossing the Moro" was a... Um, was a battle honor that the, the Patricias got um, in 1943, December 43. And this was, um, this one stemmed the same thing was I was reading about uh, in preparation to going to the 100th anniversary last August. I was uh, doing some research on, on the regiment um, because a lot of people, uh, I know we sit down and talk and I, I, I get basically approached to you know talk about a lot of things. Uh, Military things, but in particular the Patricia's. So I, um, I, I was doing some research, and at the same time I sort of looking at scenario designs. And part of the scenario design upon these these campaign games, tactical mission packs, as I call them, um, is the size. The action, the Cross of the moral was a one day. Now, the Cross of the moral was the battle honor that they received, and that is basically the entire battle from start to finish. So. From the time they crossed the Morro through the time they fought for Villa Vergati to the time they withdrew out of it, well, not withdrew, but they uh, gave it or uh, changed it over to the Indian, Indian regiment. Um, that whole battle was called, the, the battle on crossing the Morro, and that's what it was. Um, so people were sort of looking for a, a river to cross. They did that the night or that night, um, and it was... What they call a silent action. They crossed the river undetected, got across up into the uh, plateau where the village was, and started fighting there. So there was no river. There was no fight for a river. It wasn't an opposed river crossing, uh, so it would have been useless to put a river there. Uh, you know, so it wouldn't it wouldn't add it to it. So again, so, yeah.
0: in that pack, that was the battle of in um, Italy tomorrow.
2: It was. It was the uh, December 1943. The uh, Allies were uh, pushing up the Italian Peninsula. The Eighth Army was on the right-hand flank on the Adriatic coast, and uh, the Canadians were on the right-hand flank of that army, which is right along the coast. And this, the whole action was the gully was uh, the Moro River was the first action. Then there was the gully, which is right, sort of, precluding or right in front of the uh, Ortona, and. What, they, what the Canadians thought that would happen was is that as soon as they took these objectives uh, crossed the morrow, crossed the gully, which would outflank the um, Ortona, the Germans would pull back. Unfortunately, the Germans decided that they wouldn't pull back and they would fight for uh, Ortona. And so what happened was there was a week-long battle over Christmas um, for the Battle of Ortona. And that sort of stemmed behind because uh, Jim McLeod, Uh, he that was his sort of pet project that he started and when at the beginning I worked on it with him uh, for well probably a couple years designed the map laid it down we designed the rules sort of from there Uh, I got posted um, from Winnipeg to uh, Wainwright which is near Edmonton Alberta and uh, you know sort of we lost of lost contact um, in that sense so Ortona is the sort of the the grand finale of this whole, um, uh, they call it the Winter Campaign, the Canadians call it Winter Campaign, because it was basically through December and into January, um, the battle. So it was a, a hard fought and these uni- and the actions were all small unit, company, battalion, uh, nothing on a grand scale, and they were, they're were, they were very easily to put into these uh, sort of campaign style, the kind that I like, a uh, one day battle, or maybe a short battle, uh, instead of, you know, the <coughs> or, uh, red barricade, you know, uh, I, I can count on one hand how many people have ever have completed the red barricade scenarios or the campaign game. And uh, so my my thought was make a scenario or make a campaign game that can be done, can be completed. So five, six, anywhere from four to six scenarios uh, in a campaign game. Uh, that was about my, my intention and so far it's worked out.
0: And does that pack have a map?
2: The ba- the pack does have a map. Um, I basically designed it and drew it myself uh, based on uh, based on some earlier. I got some early air photography, also a hand sketched map from uh, from British archives, um, which sort of laid out the original sort of the, the suspected German sentry positions, um, and then uh, just cross index that with. Uh, to get some of the land features um, with sort of some modern maps
0: and the back, and then did you you did the art for? I noticed Ozerika ba- Breakout has a map also. Do not all the
2: packs have a map, right? No, no. Only the only ones that have maps are the 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 tactical mission packs, the campaign packs, the campaign game packs. They're the only ones that have maps so far.
0: So that would be like Bloody, Bloody Burra. Yeah.
2: Purple Heart Draw, Bloody Burrah, Ozerfue Breakout, and Crossing the Morrow.
0: Those are all
1: about $25, I think. So if oh, you're, you're looking at the Lone Canuck uh, website, yeah. and then you want to just zero in on those, it's the ones that are a little more expensive than just the Scenario Packs, which are, Scenario Packs are how much, Dave, 15 or something? Oh, looks like 10 or, 10, or $12, okay. I think, yeah, right? Depending on how many Scenarios are in there.
2: Yep.
1: So the one I bought, I bought two things, and... and this was about I don't know a month and a half ago. I was I had some money burning a hole in my PayPal account, mm-hmm. and uh, and I thought I, I should I should buy something. And I had never purchased anything from Lone Canuck, and it just kind of popped into my head. So I went and picked two things, just kind of at random. And I picked the Ost Front pack, mm-hmm. and the uh, Ozorechia Breakout. Yep. And we reviewed them on the last show. Just you know, just kind of opened them and went over to them, and you know we were. Impressed. the The quality seems quite good, and the map in Ojarecki oh, Breakout looks is, really great. Yeah, it looks Thank looks you. really cool. And I took it over to my friend, uh, our friend Rich Spilke, uh, who is uh, who we played Taro with, or I played Taro with uh, last year. We're kind of looking for something to do over the coming winter, and we've kind of decided we're going to play the campaign game on this.
2: Excellent. So,
1: yeah, we're looking forward to it. Now. Um going back to just like the packs, you know to to design a scenario based on you say you, you'll be reading a history and you'll design the scenario. That's interesting to a point, but do you, do you do do you try to look for things that make it interesting for ASL players to play So are, are you are you constantly looking for different SSRs, thinking of different interesting ways to... To just add something special that you haven't seen before, or you know, because to to just do an a, an action with nothing special uh, isn't that attractive. So, how does what's that process like when you're when you're designing?
2: Um, the process, I uh, well, one first thing is I I try not to make kind of like. I don't make counters because we have enough counters in the system yeah <laughs> I, I, I don't think people will be able to use all their counters so try not to like you know, keep the counters uh the scenarios the, the in the scenario packs uh keep it simple uh, because nobody wants you know massive amounts of SSRs where you got to get out a magnifying glass because they're so crammed in there um to read them uh but I do try to add a little bit of flavor now w- when you do that you know you don't want you, you want to you want to emphasize an attribute or some sort of uh, with a rule emphasize some sort of action or some, something something that happens uh, don't um, don't try to add more than it is and, and, and you know I, I sometimes I start off SSRs and I'll start I'll start. Uh, adding SSRs and making bigger and bigger and bigger and, and and really try to make this a very unique scenario. Then look at it and say, like, this is just mind boggling. Like, it just becomes really, what do I want to happen here? You know, what is the reason behind this SSR? Uh, do the Germans get uh, more abundant or an abundance of uh, Panzerfausts? You know, you'll have to have stuff like that. Do the Russians have you know panderfaust? I mean. Uh, as about, from about mid-1944 on, I think Russians had a proliferation of, uh, well, not proliferation, but uh, an abundance of panzerfaust and the fact that they captured the panzerfaust factory in eastern Poland. So they were producing their own panzerfaust, you know, something like that. Do I want to give them panzerfaust more than a one or a two? Um, but don't make it complicated. Don't try to do it. And sometimes I get tripped up on it and I, you know, really, something like that, really try to, do it and it doesn't come off, it doesn't work, and I get a lot of calls, well, what about this, what about that? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes sometimes it's plain and simple to me, you know, straightforward, but other times people look at it and they scratch their head going, you know, what's he talking about or how does this work or this contradicts that. So make it, uh, put the action, you know, put the battlefield there, put the places, places there, maybe, you know, a little bit of scenario rules to add some spice to it. But, um, you know, chrome is, you know, a lot of people like chrome, but sometimes, you know, not, there weren't, you know, there was only, uh, there weren't tens of thousands of king tigers, so you can't have a king tiger in every scenario.
1: Mm, yeah. And just uh, as I happen to be thinking about this, are, are all of your scenarios uh, Europe, the European theater, or do you do any PTO?
2: I have one PTO scenario one Burma scenario. that was it okay, and, and that, is that
1: just because uh, it's what you're interested in is doesn't include it, that?
2: it does uh, primary my primary concern is, is ETO although I just I've been reading a lot of the Mediterranean lately and a lot of uh, I've started in a few books on the, the desert, so that might that might come out from there but
1: uh oh that'd be good. It seems uh, like there aren't enough desert scenarios.
2: Yeah, well, those are scenarios. Is that whole cracker rule? You know, you gotta, you have to look at the rules. and if you look at people's rule books, those that aren't um A to D are well worn out.
1: Yeah.
2: E is a little bit worn. You know, F is, is almost pristine, and G, you know, G is starting to get a bit worn. But you know, so there are some some sections of the rules that are people play a lot. Um, uh, other sections that people don't, and and. The hardest thing is to learn, you know, to learn a, a new set of rules. We're, you, know, you pick up a night scenario. Oh, it's a night scenario. It means I got to learn this whole another set of rule section. Yeah, uh, it's so easy to, it's so easy to go. You know, Europe, nineteen forty-four. You know, June or July. You know, here, there, everywhere, and it's uh, it, it works really nice. But um, I, I sort of set upon myself is to is to really expand. Um, some of the rule section, my knowledge of them my, 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 um, my familiarization with them. So you know as much as the rule book puts me to sleep I try to I, I try to look up a rule or two you know sand from the desert or night or weather you know something like that. Um, landing craft uh, should have got me for a while because I was designing a uh, Juno beach uh, D-day Normandy landing. Uh, uh, June 44, the Canadian beaches at uh, Juno Beach, which has sort of been always simmering in the background because in the late 90s I designed and hand drew the map, the whole entire Juno Beach, the whole six-kilometer beach, on, uh, on basically map sheets, tech map sheets, and um, wow, yeah, we played we played it in Winnipeg. Um, I think it was 98 we played it or 97 we played it, had about. Um, then we had about five, five, uh, five players on the Canadian side, four players on the German side. Wow! Basically, played this beach thing, and uh, it it, w- it went all weekend. It was sort of, uh, it was sort of my sort of call to arms to the uh, the British. They did uh, Sword Beach there in their monster scenario, whatever monster pack scenario. So we designed that. Um, now, impractical. It was uh, totally impractical. You know, it was like a one-time thing, and. Um, the you know the map was it fit on I think I had two six foot tables no I had three six foot tables and it covered basically from the middle of the one to the middle of the far one with pouches on the side and all that so it was a it was a huge massive endeavor and we played it for all weekend and which just led to another one and then I did uh, after that I said well that's not big enough so I designed um, Battle for um, Abbey Desert Dens, which was a massive map sheet. It was, what, uh, 108 hexes deep by uh, 94 hexes wide. It was the map, basically. And it covered the whole area around Abbey Desert Den, which is just south of um, Juno Beach. And uh, we played that for, I think we played that two or three times. Uh, again, about, about five or six players total. You know, anywhere from two to three on each side.
0: So, you designed these maps and then printed them out or just hand drew them or?
2: Hand drew them. Okay. Cantone hand, markers. Uh, yeah, I hand drew them. Basically, uh, down to. <laughs> and, and my meticulous. Uh, uh, I did a little bit of drafting when I was in high school. So, uh, meticulous, you know, down to. Um, uh, uh, shingles on the in the on the houses. Got you know, down to that, so.
1: You're kind of a nut, aren't you, George?
2: Uh, I am. <laughs> a little bit well, that's, nutty. That's
0: what it takes to produce this I, stuff, man. I guess so. You gotta have love the research and love the work and uh, have and have uh, some of the time to put it all together. So you don't think those two giant maps will ever actually be uh, end up being printed and available?
2: Um. Well, right now, I uh, bloody barra is. <clears throat> Which would be the north, if if you looked at Bloody Barra, which is about the similar size to Zerkyo Breakout. Imagine a Zerfieh Breakout, five wide and three deep. That map, five wide, three deep. Wow, um, that's how big it was. Uh, and Bloody Barra is the the center top of that. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's an impractical map. I, I try to I try to cut it up in quarters and how to make it. And at this time, it, it was way, way before any sort of, I was into any sort of computer-assisted drawing and all the CAD drawings. Um, so it was, you know, can I do this? And talked to a friend of our talked to a printer, and he said, well, you know, it, it was going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to get this map done. Um, and you want to do this four times, so it's going to be four times the price. And I, you know, I said, well, you know, it, it doesn't. And the map now resides at Bill Bird's place in Winnipeg, uh, where we we played it, and probably will be there until eternity. But um, so what I did was, and I came back about ten years later, so 2008, 2009, uh, moved into a bit of computer. CAD, uh, CAD drawings and all that got a system that I could use um, and started designing the maps uh, and work with that and so now I've designed half of the uh, Juno well I would say a third of the Juno beach I was able to replicate that or, or draw it on a uh, on a computer program and got that all done and we tested it two or three times now and it's sort of too big for a doesn't work as a campaign game and it's more because i've tried it a couple of times so it's probably a big scenario and we've done it as a big scenario um, but yeah we played it uh... And, and getting back to the rules this is where uh... giving to landing craft and stuff like that uh... seaborne assaults uh, got very familiar with that and worked on that uh... darren kovacs here is uh... uh Another sort of uh, former Winnipeg ASL uh, group member who came out west and is now living here in Victoria. Um, so we uh, we play, well, we we try to play at least every two to three times a month, more if we can get into it. Um, um, so yeah, we play we played that a couple t- uh, twice now. We're testing a couple other ones. Uh, Hell's Highway we're doing right now, sort of wrapping up that for testing. And right now we're doing uh, ASL for fun.
1: For fun, what a concept!
2: Yes, this is sort of I call it brain candy for me. It allows me to design maps and scenarios. Just just go to freewheel it and um, just see how big or how complex or how you know how I can do this. And it's sort of um, what do they call that? Uh, yeah, freewheeling. So basically, I just do up some uh, scenarios, look at it. Uh, um, design a map, um, and then get it printed off, and uh, one-up map, and get it printed off. And we have a group of players here. Um, probably half of them are uh, are relatively new players. One is just one has just bought the uh, ASL starter kit, and we're already gotten them into uh, um, assault uh, with tons of grenadiers and all that. So he's sort of uh, learning quickly. Um, so yeah, so I do that. Uh, with the group here, just to get them out to play ASL. This summer, I sort of said, this summer, I'm just going to... Uh, I have a whole bunch of uh, projects that are in, in sort of mid-to-end production. And uh, right now, I'm just waiting on playtester's results, uh, editing, and stuff like that. So I said, this summer, I'm just going to design scenarios and map, get more of a map practice and keep my keep my skills up because if i find if i don't use it i lose the you lose it so uh, with the computer program this keeps me going and helps me keep fresh uh
1: so we so we can expect to see more from you which is good now um getting back to uh breakout i I have a couple questions about that because obviously because it's the one i bought But I'd like to know more about the action itself, you know, historically, because in doing a Google search, I shouldn't say Google because I don't use Google anymore. Doing a web search on Azurekia Breakout, the only references I found were to your product. So I don't know if this is uh, an action that you invented, maybe in a dream. (laughs) Um, And the other thing I wanted to talk about was the campaign game itself. Uh, but first, on, on the first part of it, tell me about this action, because I couldn't find anything about it.
2: Um, what you want to go is, you want to look at for Novorossi, Um and basically it's on the Black Sea. It's at the Eastern Black Sea, just southeast of the Crimea. Uh, this is the, it's called Novorossi is the furthest the Germans, well, not the furthest, it was the, when the Germans were going into the Caucasus, the furthest they pushed was to uh, Mount Iberus, the highest peak in Europe. The um, But that was in the 42 and 43, the Russians only pushed them back up the Caucasus to where they got to Novorossi, which is a city, a port city, uh, along the eastern coast of the Black Sea. Uh, in 1942, the Russians launched a large, uh, basically assault. It was going to be a combined assault. What they were going to do is a land, sea, and air assault. They were going to push the Germans from the Caucasus, drive them back across the the peninsula onto the Crimea, and in the process, hopefully trap them if they could um, from Rostov on the Don, which is the north north of that, and basically cut off the whole. I think it's the 17th Army in uh, in the Caucasus, which would, if possible, would be even a huge, would be one and a half times the amount of men that were lost in Stalingrad. Um, six, well, just just before that. So what happened was the Russians launched a land land-based attack up the coast, and they launched a amphibious seaborne assault, and they did it on two parts. There is a bay that goes right into Novorovsky, Novorovsky, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, which is on the east side, and then there is a point of land that sort of protrudes out into the Black Sea. And what they were going to do was, they were going to do two, uh, two landings. The first landing was on the on the east side of this point, uh, and, the, and the second landing was on the west side of the point um, near Ozerkia. Which is a town, um, a town <laughs> on the Balkan coast or the Black Sea coast. Uh, so, what happened was is they landed uh, on the west side. Or, Christian, the east side. They landed, got a toehold, and basically the Germans sort of stopped them on the west side. They landed, and these are night night board, night assaults with um, relatively. I think it was one of the first one of the first major seaborne assaults the Russians did. They did it at night. They didn't really have proper landing craft. Uh, they had barges. They had tankers. They had transports. They So what they were going to do is they're going to land there. So Azerkia Bray, or Azerkia, they landed, and basically they, they, uh, the Russian infantry, naval infantry, poured off into there all under the fire of Romanians and Germans. Uh, From Ozerkia, they pushed up this valley to Lebovov, if I pronounced that right, Lebovov, which is the the town sort of um, at at the top of this valley, the north end of this valley. And this is the action I put. Um, To do the whole action, the Ozerkia landing, which would be a seaborne assault, and. And maybe if I really, if I really sort of got it, if I some more information about it uh, and, and some more of the landing, um, it, it might come up to be a scenario to join up with this one, but that's not in the foreseeable future. <laughs> uh, so they landed there uh, and they pushed north. Uh, but the few things that went wrong um, with the Russian landing, because the landing was done at night, in relatively high you know, uh, high seas. It was really a poor landing. Um, ships were, barges were under fire. Uh, 88s, 105s from the Germans, Romanians on the coast were firing at them. Uh, so they basically loaded off in the first wave, they loaded off about two-thirds of their force, managed to get off the, off the boats, off the beaches, and pushed forward. Uh, a few crucial things happened uh, <laughs> that sort of set the battle. Um, one, their headquarters ship was blown up, uh, so they lost most of the communication. Uh, two, the landing barges that had their tanks, their heavy tanks, their, their lee tanks, their land-lease-lees, the, uh, the doors were shot, shot full of or hit, and the chains were broken, so they couldn't disembark, I think, two squadrons of lee tanks. Um, so that was part of the thing, uh, part of their armor that didn't get off the beach. Their stewards, which were in the action, they got off the beach. Uh, so the Russians landed with no radios, only their light tanks. And basically, a lot of their equipment was lost, trucks, transports, uh, guns. So they were sort of, they got off a third of their or two-thirds of their men got off and most of their weapons, but a lot of the transport was left. So with that, they pushed up the valley. Well, the valley is just basically this wooded valley on either side. Um, The Germans and the Romanians had key positions on little plateaus on either side of this, which basically allowed them to fire off into the ocean or down onto the uh, Russians as they moved up. So the first night the Russians moved up the valley to just sort of their uh, Glenopov, I think it's called, um, sort of that, uh, all under the fire of the remaining of the Germans. This is where the action starts in the the campaign game, is when they push up the valley. So two things about uh, the whole landing. One, um, Nikita, Nikita Khrushchev was a commissar. He landed on the eastern side of the landing he spent uh, four months in this pocket, uh, which the Roma- uh, which the Germans had sealed off. They, they contained the beach landing to basically uh, a few square miles. Uh, the, um, and that's where Khrushchev spent his whole time as his commissar. The Germans basically fought for about uh, a few months and then started withdrawing, because by this time, the Russians were pushing, with the success of Stalingrad, they were pushing Westwards, and the whole 17th Army was uh, was um, was in fear of being cut off. So they pushed back up the coast and across to the, the Crimea.
0: Okay, interesting. Very interesting. So, is your valley map um, um, like smaller, probably than the real valley, or?
2: Uh, it's um, I would say it's close. It, it's the valley itself, but it's pretty close to dimensions. Uh, when you're using hex grids, you have to uh, you sort of got to play it. I think I put it about a 50 meter, I, I 50 meter instead of the 40 meters. Oh,
0: okay, so it's pretty uh,
2: close. Yeah, like that. Um, and and people are complaining at the bottom left hand or bottom right hand corner where it says the uh, the turn chart and all that. Basically, was you know people want to get onto that because they have to make that we call it the suicide the su- the suicide turn suicide right turn. To get onto the map, uh, there's a hex there that the Russians or the Romanians basically bore sight, uh, or not bore sight, but just zone in with their mortars and their guns, and the one hex which can be seen clear across the board, the Russian just gets plastered on if they decide to go that way. Uh, the, the reason behind that was that whole part was just a big, huge um, a wooded area, and on top of that, right, it would be right at the probably the bottom right-hand few hexes. Would it be in a German gun emplacement? Um, and I didn't want to put uh, it. Just didn't work out for um, gameplay because the the Germans are just looking down on the Russians and with a 105, and they're just plastering them. So I put the turn record in, or the turn record chart into that bottom right hand corner. Oh, gotcha.
1: Interesting fix. <laughs> now, as as campaigns g- games go in ASL, this is. Pretty uh, manageable, would you say?
2: It is. It is. It's. Um, I think it's six or seven turns, if I right. remember.
1: I think it's six turns.
2: Six turns, uh, yeah, six campaign beats, or going to call it. Right. Um, it, it is manageable. It's it, um, the in play testing, we uh, we managed to basically. I think we were finishing off a campaign game about every three playings, and we we're playing about four hours of playing. Uh, so yeah, we we're finishing that off, um, and with that, uh, so yeah, we finished it off. And in a couple of months, we you know, and that's we're playing uh, maybe once a week, four hours once a week. Um,
1: yeah.
2: And, and it depends on that. I and mean, and part of that, I mean, we could have pushed in there. I've I've heard of guys playing it, it through in a weekend, the whole all six of them. Mm, okay. Hardcore ASL, old time school, old school. But it is, it's imaginable forces. Um, yeah, the only complaint I've heard about it is, is the fires. Um, there, there are fires, and uh, in play testing, we had one hillside light on fire, but uh, you know, and it wasn't. I would say it wasn't that big of a thing, but uh, people sort of dislike the fact that. You know, once it starts on fire, it, it basically burns away the whole forest. And, so, would you uh, recommend maybe
0: changing that or?
2: Uh, there is. There have been a couple of sort of house house rule SSRs. Uh, one is is that the fire doesn't spread. So, in in the in the rules, every flame places or every blaze out there places a flame in the hex at the end of the game or during the refit. Uh, every blaze that's on the map. Uh, places a, uh, a flame in an adjacent hex, and then the flame, uh, the blaze goes out. So the fire keeps spreading. Um, a lot of it basically disregard placing the flame in the adjacent hex. Um, so the fire, the fires go out at the end of every campaign game or at date So you don't get the big spread because we've had one. Uh, I said play tested on the on the as you're looking at it uh, on the western hills. We had a fire up there for a while. Um, which just sort of forced you down into the valley. Um, but you know, I played. I think I played it three, four times. I think right through campaign. Uh, yeah, three or four times at least. And there's only one. Well, for us, only once the fire happened, and that was when um, the Russians dropped their. Uh, the Russians? No, it was the Germans dropped their artillery onto it. But yeah, so that would be a fix if you. You really want is don't have that fire spread at the in the refit.
1: Yeah. And is there anything else uh, unique that you could tell us about? And then we'll then we'll move off of this about this partic about the way you do campaign games.
2: Um, campaign games I look at uh, originally actually through them. Uh, if I can't lay out if I can't lay out the order of battle in front of me for the whole entire campaign game, it's probably too big. Now having said that, I just got lots more, uh, a lot more uh, pieces, uh, but like uh, Purple Hard Draw, which is the first one, you can lay the order of battle on the table. Uh, and I think that was even just the basic set. Uh, Zerkia Breakout uh, works pretty much the same way. You can lay with the basic set, or with the Germans, Russians, and Romanians, you can lay out the whole entire Orbat, every piece on your table with, uh, with that. So you know, there's not a monstrosity of you know where you have hundreds and hundreds of squads. Yeah. Um, the the biggest thing is is that um, you know personal morale checks take a big hit sometimes. Um, the Russians they can be hard charging and they can drive right up the valley and the Romanians just just get rolled over. And the Romanians um, you know so the Romanians sort of have to you know just take it and, and give. Time for ground. ground, give up give up ground for time, you know, slowly withdraw back uh, because the Germans are coming. The Germans are coming. And uh, they. Uh, so their personal morale check sometimes takes a hit and a lot of guys just... Uh, I've heard a couple guys just sort of want to throw in the towel and they say, How How do you win as a Romanian? You can't win. Um, the Romanians, you have to play a patient, defensive battle. You slowly have to withdraw. And you're going to lose. You're going to lose guys. You're going to lose, you know, everything. Um, The Russians, you know. So as Romanians, you you know, you're falling back, and then the Germans start coming on. The Germans, you know, come on at platoon size, whereas the Romanians have company size. So you know, your Germans come up, but that, of course, it stays as they call it. The the Germans get in there, and by that time, the Germans are in basically the town. uh, That's where they sort of show up in. And they sort of hold off, and then they start pushing. They start pushing the Russians back. And that's where the Russians so sort of take their big morale check, is that they're on their last legs, and, uh, you know, if they can hold on just one more, you know, just, just, all they got to do is take out one more objective, and, you know, they'll, they'll win the game, or they'll hold, they'll hold the game. Um, yeah, so it sort of sways back and forth. But, uh, you know, I played played the Russian side. I played the, the Axis side. Um, and both sides, you know, they, you know, you, 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 some days you're winning and some days you're losing. But you know, it, it's perseverance. You gotta, you gotta keep going and uh, try to adapt. How do I, how do I make the best of this? You know, three box cars in a row. You know, uh, you know that 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 was sort of a, that was sort of my my personal uh, experience with it. Is that you know, it looks really easy to throw in the towel and say, you know, this is, this is unwinnable or it can't be won um you know you just got to hold off as the Romanians until the Germans start coming on and as the Russians you've got to uh, basically persevere and push forward and and try to try to knock out the Romanians as fast as you can because then you sort of just have to worry about the Germans and the Germans as I said, they come on a platoon strength where everybody else is in company strength so,
0: yeah, now if someone was going to buy some of the, their first products from you, which would you recommend? What are your favorites?
2: Uh, my favorites—Purple uh, Heart draws been well, probably because of the first one I did. But uh, if I had a favorite, it would probably be Crossing the Morrow for a campaign game. Um, you know, they're all sort of—they all have their their different. They're different, uh, different pluses, you know, and, and different strengths and all that. But, uh, Crossing the Morrow sort of been my, sort of been my favorite of the ones i played. Oh, and I play, uh, so far I've played every, I've pretty much played every of the campaign games, and i probably played most of the scenarios, uh, into it. But, uh, Crossing the Morrow, probably the, uh, for campaign games, closely followed by, uh, Purple Heart Draw, and, um, Purple Heart Draw has sort of been a good. It's been a good seller, and it has been a lot of people liked it. Uh, I put up the uh, rules on the on my website because, as I said, I did the rules back in, in two, or I did the scenario back in 2008. And as I grow as a, a scenario designer, I uh, I try to retrofit some of the rules to better for better playing or for better um, understanding or um, from it. And as for scenario packs. Mm. Yeah, I don't really have a favorite scenario pack. Uh,
0: They're all
2: good. I, well, I like I like them all. They all have their different. Uh, they all have their different, um, different, different. Um, what are we looking for? Enjoyments, different strengths. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some, some are. Some, you know, if you like that. Uh, I mean, and really, a lot of the scenario packs, especially the theme scenario packs they follow a unit through its its its, its 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 lifespan so if you play like uh leaf sand art number one and leaf sand art number 32 you know you, you know you can see that there there's a difference in the units but if you play sort of through the whole scenario all 32 scenarios of them so far you'll see the units you know then and, and the whole units um their their uh, movement through the war and how you know different different weapons, different uh, fronts, different enemies, stuff like that. So, I don't know, I don't really have a favorite of them. Uh, as I say, all, I like them all, um, and I hate them all. Sort of, I hate a lot, you know, something, I wish I did better. I could have changed this maybe, or did this, but no, overall, they all sort of appeal to me.
1: So, listeners, you should just uh, take George's advice and just buy them all. You know, I just think for for somebody that's uh, that likes to buy ASL products, and there are plenty of them out there. This is a great, you know, your Doing website stuff, is e- yeah. easy to use. You got great stuff out there, and I, I think that uh, going back to campaign games, I think that's pretty normal for people to sort of uh, bail out on a campaign game early on. Um, in fact, I don't know if you've heard, but we played uh, one of one of our local group here played Tarawa. And we got through the opening uh, naval OBA on the first turn, before the first turn. It was actually pre-first turn. And the other side conceded <laughs> just as a result of the naval OBA. So um, so I like your advice. Stick with it. And I think, you know, it's easy for people to criticize a product and say, oh, Whatever the Romanians uh, wither away too quickly, and how can they possibly win, etc. But it's not, it, to me, it's not always about maybe about balance, but it's about playing a historical piece that, um, and if you stick with it, obviously, you can see a different outcome than maybe what you would expected.
2: It isn't. Uh, there was a uh, a long time ago, way back. I don't know who um, uh, was. It was. I think it was Bob Bendis said when he came up to Winnipeg uh, to the tournament there, he, uh, this is shortly after the uh, Chicago, Chicago, their...
0: Um, ASL Open? Or?
2: The ASL Open, their, their pack came out.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: 96, I think it was, that came out there. Um, he came up, I think it was 97 or of sometime during that time. And we were discussing this, uh, Jim McLeod, myself, uh, and, and Bob, and he was saying that uh, groups... Playtest groups all have a certain style of play, and if a scenario pack or a campaign game is tested by a group, and he used the Chicago group that he was part of.
0: Oh yeah, the the pack was the Wind Windy City Gamers uh, yes, scenario pack.
2: Yeah, and he said that all you know, all every ASL group has a different style of play, and he says that the the Chicago group, they're very aggressive in their play. And so when they when they played the scenario, you have to play it aggressively because that's the way they played. That's how they tested it. Um, you know, so if if you are if you're a passive player that doesn't take chances, that doesn't you know make a you know make a quick dash across the open, you know through you know a couple of fire lanes, um, you know you might not win, or you might not win because. You're not pushing hard enough because that's the way they design, or that's the way they tested it. So you know a lot of the scenarios are tested from this aggressive point of view. Um, you know, so different. You know, and getting back around to it is that a lot of players say, "Well, this is unbalanced. It doesn't work. It doesn't like that." Um, it could be a style of the play. All the play testers. I mean, we can't give thought, we can't send it out to every ASL player in the world, have them test it, and come back, and then take sort of the average and say, "Well, this is how it works." I mean. You know, there, there's a time and effort, you, you know, I try to get as many players as I can to play test mine, and I mean, if anything that really holds up is my, my, uh, my release is, is the fact that I wait, is, is the lack of play testers, you know, I, I test it, I have a style of play, uh, it's, it's aggressive, um, and I have a couple other players that here, uh, Darren Kovacs, he's very methodical and very, um, uh, calculative, calculating in his his playing. So, you know, you look at him and he'll, if it's a nine turn game, he'll beat you on the ninth turn. Even though, you know, I might say, you know, if we push really hard, we can have this over in, you know, six turns, you know. So it's just the style of play of the testers and how they report back, you know, uh, it was too hard, Needs an extra turn, maybe more infantry, less infantry, uh, too many, you know, too many support weapons, you know, all this sort of factors into the, you know, to the testing. And, and you play something and say, well, there's no way they can win or this can't be done, it, it's, maybe it's just not exactly how you play and, and you might have to either adjust your play or, or modify it a bit uh, to do it. So, you know, the person morale check isn't coming. A lot of that's sort of stemming from, you know, oh, you can't win. If, if you're a passive player and you play something like um, Bloody Barak or even Azurkia Breakout, if you're the Russians and you're if you're a very passive player, it's going to be a long foot slog up that valley to get to the town, and by that time the Germans have probably are well bedded in and waiting for you when you get there. You know, so you know you you get weaker, and the Romanians you know almost get wiped out, but the Germans come in and sort of reinforce them. So if you're not pushing hard as the Russians. You know it, it it you might be you you might be coming up against some Germans um well rested well defended well you know well fortified buildings and all stuff like that. so that's just the way you know I, I sort of look at the the style of play and and you know people's style of play to their to the designers how they design the game
1: Good to know that's very good to know so well um i think that's it yeah it's been great that's, great that's having our, time to talk to the you time we've got for uh tonight but really appreciate you talking to us
2: thank you yes
1: and uh we'll probably have this show on the air in the next two uh, shows it'll be the second one we put up from today yeah so probably uh mid next month yeah july yep.
2: I, I did catch your uh part of your uh you're what about, uh, you, you ordered off ordered off the website because of the colored scenario pack?
1: Yeah, that's right, yes, <laughs> because I know, because that's what's important to me. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I purchased Ostfront pack because of the pretty picture, and yeah. then it came, when it came, it's in black and white. But,
2: and nah. and part, part of that goes to the keeping the cost down.
1: Yeah, understandable.
2: Uh, initially, it did come out with a colored picture, and I usually do that for the first year. And then
0: Uh once it goes into like reprints or
2: well, once it goes into that, once it sort of usually becomes the old product, whatever it goes into black and white only to keep the costs down. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just all about costs, you know, and I, you know, I can easily sell, you know, I I easily, I I could sell these for five or $6 more a pack. But as I said, I do this because I, I enjoy it and not because I, you know, have to make a living out of it. It's a hobby to me. And uh, so that's what it does, and you know, I do have I do have colored copies. If you really, if you have your heart set on one, <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's what it is. It's all about cost. It's all about keeping costs down.
0: Yeah, and um, and is everything you put out still available, or are some things out it of print?
2: Is, it is. It is still available. Uh, although it's it's uh, purple heart draws quick or not quickly, slowly but but surely. Coming to the end of its uh, production run or, or of, of the copies, basically, uh, you know, that's probably about the one. It's not, it's not, there's no, you know, 100 left or something like that. But it's, uh, it's, it's probably a few hundred away from being in uh, um, production.
0: And then when that happens, you don't plan to reprint things with maps, I would assume, or.
2: Um. The the cost. Then it goes. It, it goes again with cost. and the cost Yeah.
0: Because you'd have to run a huge print run, and then probably not sell all those because most of us would own the game, right? Yeah.
2: And, and that's what it is. As I said, uh, I um, the, the cost. The, my my factor is the cost. You know, I, I try to keep the cost down, and I think I've had maybe three three price increases since I started this. You know, the last what. Almost 18 years, 10, 15, 18 years. I think I had three cost increases uh, in, in that. And uh, uh, so I try to keep the cost down. Uh, do I plan on printing it? Um, I, I, I can't, right now, I don't foresee uh, it, it another print of uh, Purple Heart Draw once it's done. But that, you know, it's not, it's not written in stone, written in plaster seam. Um, uh, it works out that if if, if it's, yeah, I, I don't foresee it uh, another additional run to it. So,
1: so there, there are, you go, there, there you go, are. listeners. If you want to get Purple Heart dry, you better get on it quick, because once they're gone,
0: they're gone they, for good. They might be gone for good. Yeah. Well, anyway, George, thank you again so much. I've yeah, a thanks very, very much. Fascinating conversation, and uh, and uh, going to have a great show out of this one. So,
1: and we'll look forward to talking to you uh, in the future, and when you've got a new product ready to come out to give us a call
2: hopefully it'll be this in september
0: that'd be okay, great yeah yeah. yeah contact forward. us let us know and uh and we'll we'll give it some coverage too all right great have a good evening
2: all uh, right you too
0: thanks bye-bye Bye. Thank you that was george that was george good to hear from george Kelna.
1: yeah out there in vancouver Vancouver.
0: And it kind of makes me excited to try the Azurekia Breakout. I would recommend playing it with the Fire Limitation role. Yeah. As he mentioned. As he mentioned.
1: And I think I, uh, if Rich, I'll play this probably with Rich Spilky
0: starting in the fall. Hopefully Rich won't listen to this. Yeah. And then he can play the Romanian and he'll quit right away. Yeah. <laughs> and you can chalk up a victory. I and was you thinking, can I'll play sides. the Russians.
2: I'll
1: play the Russians. It would be good for me to learn to be aggressive. I'm trying to think of something aggressive to say to you.
0: I hate you. I've always yeah. hated you.
1: <laughs> so uh, there we go. And maybe a bunch of people will play Azuracu Breakout. No, no doubt. Rich will be calling George or writing him and saying,
0: "Oh, he will." I would be. like some
1: clarifications on the rules because Rich is very, He's very the good guy. At that kind of thing. He's the guy. And uh, so we'll be Great looking guy. forward to reporting that. And, and uh, the thing is, Rich said, "Hey, you want to start this now?" And I'm I'm hesitant because summer is so short. In Chicago, I don't want to commit to anything that takes up a no, lot of time on no. weekends if the no. weather's nice.
0: Summer is for short scenarios. It's so yeah, short scenarios like in the evenings, a little one nighters. I yep. don't want to do it no on Saturdays. if no, it's nice no. out. I want to well, be outside. You got your yard work. If you're not, if you're not, I don't a do service work. Come in. Well, you have a service, but yep. other people got to do their yard work. Cookouts the weekend. Cookouts, just, right? Cookouts. Boom. Book yep. up. Book yep. up. Yep. Wait, are we bantering? I think we are. So oh, let's stop no banter. that.
1: Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you had a great time. We did. And we'll see you
0: next time. Yep. Remember to roll low. And rally well. But But now when you're playing us. us. Au revoir. Au revoir.
1: Money. That's, uh, that's all it's
0: your Why'd you buy that? Because you brought her over with yesterday really? <laughs> I thought you'd like it. That's aw oh. That's how much I care. What a nice guy.